0: My husband and I, we had actually just had this little conversation with ourselves, like, all right, so like, what are we thinking is about to happen, you know? Because someone's about to give me a book deal, presumably. We knew the offer was coming. So I ended up getting a a six-figure book deal from Tiny Rep for that novel. That's amazing. (laughs) And I wasn't expecting it at all. It blew our little pretend numbers so far out of the water that when I heard it, I I didn't even speak for the longest. I just, Aisha called me and she's like, here's the number. And she's like so excited. And then I was just silent and she's like, hi, hello.
1: Hi, welcome. Welcome to Writing Stories, your spot for conversations with contemporary authors about the struggles and triumphs of writing and publishing. Hi, how's it going? Good. My guest today is Kai Harris. She's an assistant professor of creative writing at Santa Clara University. And she holds a PhD from Western Michigan University. Her work has appeared in Guernica and Longform. And her short story, While We Live, received the Gwen Frostick Creative Writing Award for fiction. Her first novel, What the Fireflies Knew, came out in 2022 from Penguin Random House. So for readers who haven't read your beautiful prose, what's the book about?
0: Yeah, so What the Fireflies Knew is the story of Kenyatta, who most people call K.B., And she's a 10 going on 11 year old girl who is sent along with her older sister, Nia, to live with her grandfather uh, following the unexpected death of their father.
1: And it's told all in KB's voice, which is just like this awesome kid's perspective. That's what I like most about it. What kind of kid were you? Who were you before you were a writer?
0: Yeah, so there are some traces of me, I guess, in the story and in the characters, but I'm pretty different from KB. For sure, she deals with a lot of things that I never experienced. For me as a child, I was a huge reader. That's one thing about me that I also gave to KB. I gave her my favorite book when I was growing up, which was Anne of Green Gables. I had found that book at a a secondhand store when I was a kid. And I picked it because I liked the cover and I liked really thick books. Back then, I just always wanted to like, Three books that were really like thick because it made me feel very smart. And so (laughs) I I bought that book, I think, for like 50 cents. I ended up loving the book. And I felt like very similar to Anne. And I realized later looking at the book that there we didn't have a ton of things in common in terms of our story, but they we did have a lot of things in common in terms of personality, in terms of being very curious, being, you know,
1: optimistic, wanting family and wanting to have, find joy. And I, I also loved Anne of Green Gables. I just related so much to like the accidents, the constant accidents.
0: Yeah. I related to Anne's kind of persistent desire to be like heard and, and loved. And, you know, I, I loved the way that she Used language and I don't know. I just felt like I was a very similar kid. Like I was just always trying to like be heard and explain myself. I wasn't as talkative. I was in fact very shy when I was a kid, but I think internally I was very talkative. So Hmm. it almost felt like the ways that she was outwardly was how I felt inside of myself. So it was nice to see someone carrying those
1: traits in a, in a more, you know, kind of extroverted fashion, I guess. Interesting. So she was kind of showing you a part of yourself. So when did you discover writing? Let's
0: see. Well, I was really into reading and I wasn't doing much writing. I was reading books like Anne of Green Gables and The Secret Garden and Pippi Longstockings. I started to think that I had to write things similar to what I was reading. So writing started feeling really intimidating to me. And so I just really didn't try to write fiction. I I went to grad school mostly because I love school and I wanted to learn more. And so I went to um, get my master's at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. So it was in that program where I took my very first creative writing classes. My master's thesis was actually the story of a bunch of characters I could have never known anything about. My main character was a middle-aged white man who was a scientist who like was like putting his wife through some weird mystery experiment or something. And I realized very quickly, I don't know how to write this character because I don't intimately know this character. And I, you know, started asking myself, like, why did I pick that point of view? And I realized that to me, I hadn't read at that point in my life, very many books at all that featured black protagonists or Black women protagonists. And so I, every time I sat down to write, I would feel like I had to find a character in a story that people would gravitate towards. So who could that character be? Well, I'm going to pick a white man and I'm going to give him this interesting career. And I'm going to use this genre that I feel like is is very recognizable and make a mystery. You know, so I was doing all of these things that had nothing to do with what I wanted to be writing. Um, And had everything to do with what I felt like I was supposed to be writing. When I wrote the story in class. The story that became what the Fireflies knew. It was called The Mayonnaise Jar. There was no real thing going on. I had no stakes. It was just, you know, uh, a couple memories. And But people in my class really responded positively to it. It was the first time that I had written something from a perspective that I recognized. And I think Mm -hmm. I was just bolstered by the fact that people enjoyed it. And, and felt, and you know, that there wasn't a whole lot of feedback of like, Oh, I don't understand this, or I can't relate to this character. Instead, everyone was telling me how they related to the character I created. Everyone was telling me how they, it reminded them of themselves and their own childhood and things they had experienced. And I was like, Oh, I can actually write black characters. I can write experiences that are familiar to me and they can still be universal to other people. So that was, I think, in a light bulb mode, I was like, oh, if I can write a novel from a perspective that I know and recognize and understand, I can do that. (laughs) <laughs> I thought I writing love... was something much more difficult than that.
1: I I love that story and that sort of embracing of your experience and and the stories that you have to tell. I love it, and I love in your acknowledgments you write you very explicitly said the black experience is universal. Really referencing what you just were talking about, right? That's exactly where that came from. Can you talk about just day to day how you wrote the novel in a month? Like, what did your days look like? Did you were you propelled to write the full book? by the positive responses you got to the short story in the class? Or was it a gradual process of deciding it was going to be a book?
0: It's a little difficult to remember, honestly. (laughs) I probably wrote the story in 2014 or 15. I wrote the novel at the very end of 2015, which I can remember well, because I wrote it in less than a month right after my youngest daughter was born. So she was born in October of 2015. And then I wrote this whole, the whole first draft of the novel in December. Now, granted, I revised forever after that and wrote a million drafts. And so I, I spent my time elsewhere. But that first draft did come out really fast. And, and you had a newborn and two
1: older kids, right?
0: Yes, yes. I had a newborn and two older kids. I had, I had the newborn and then I had the two older kids. Um, so, I mean, well, I have a wonderful husband. He's such a supportive partner. So at that time in our lives, I had just graduated from grad school. Um, My kiddos were, my older kiddos were old enough that they were in school and my husband was working. I was not working right then because I had just graduated and I had a newborn. So I was often by myself with the baby. So at that time I was able to write because, you know, I don't know, everyone was just like, how are you writing with a newborn? And I'm like, well, they don't do much in the very beginning. You know, that's kind of the period of time where, you know, either I was nursing or I was you know, rocking her to sleep, but I had a baby carrier and I was able to, you know, just kind of have her attached to me while I was, while I was writing. But then I started Googling like how to write a novel very quickly. (laughs) And the first thing that was popping up was uh, stuff about NaNoWriMo, which I had never heard of at that point, um, National Novel Writing Month. And I had just missed it because it was in November. So I think when I was Googling this, it was like the end of November and, and, you know, I was seeing like, oh, this is a thing people try to actually write a lot in the month of November. I've missed it. But I was able to then like look at the resources that people were sharing, how they were saying they accomplished it. What was the tracker like? How many words did they have to write a day? And so I just did that research and then I was like, well, I'll just do this in December. So that was basically what it was. Now, to be clear, there was one thing I'm leaving out, which was the huge motivation. For me to write the book this quickly, which is that I so basically I wanted to, I had started writing the novel, like very quickly started. I had like maybe a chapter, and I wanted to do something to like convince myself that I was going to be a writer. So I decided that I was going to start querying agents. Mind you, I did not know what you were supposed to do when you queried agents. So <laughs> I had researched like writing a query letter and like all of this and how to find an agent that you're interested in. So I had found this agent. Um, I was like, I really want to work with her. I wrote a query. I think it was actually pretty good. Cause I was like, just studying like how people were doing it. I was looking at a ton of examples and I'm good at, I think I'm pretty good at pitching. So I wrote a query letter that was, you know, pretty engaging. And I sent it to her with my pages, whatever little pages I had. And I remember telling my husband like, Oh, you know, I'm so proud of myself. I just sent this thing out, you know, nothing's going to happen because of it, but it like, it gave me this feeling like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm doing something. I'm taking steps. And so imagine my surprise when this client agent um, emailed me back and said, I love it. Will you send me the full manuscript? Oh and so then I'm back on Google, like, what does she mean, the full manuscript? I haven't written the book yet. And so then I see all of these things that are like, do not query agents until you <laughs> write the book. And I'm like, ah, so. <laughs> That is the story of why I wrote the book so fast. Instead of fessing up and saying, hello, I don't have a book. I decided I was going to just write one very quickly. And so I had that motivation (laughs) propelling me forward. And I wrote it very quickly. And it was, you know, not great, obviously. I had just written it. It was my zero draft. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I had to give it to her. And so after I wrote it, I remember in the new year, I sent her an email and I'm like, Happy New Year. As requested, please find the full manuscript attached. You know, not acknowledging that it's been a month and a few <laughs> days since she last emailed me, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Here is the book." And of course, she said, "No, thank you," because it was terrible. I, d- I didn't even really have time to like read over it before I gave it to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just so thankful for that experience because it was such a it was such a me thing to do to get myself under this level of pressure and then to decide to just perform instead of being like, you know what? I messed up. I'm, I'm not ready. Instead, I was like, it's fine. I'm just going to write the whole book. Um, but that experience is the first time I ever finished writing an entire novel. Before that, I had started novels and I would mm-hmm. always lose steam somewhere along the way. So I think all of those things together combined led to me actually finishing a book and it ended up being my debut novel.
1: That's awesome. And it makes so much sense that like that kind of like, all right, I've got a month that you would just crank it out. (laughs) That's really kind of really (laughs) lucky that it happened that way. So that wasn't your agent now, though.
0: No, that was not. No. So uh, so the, the actual story of how I got an agent takes much longer over the next three years after that. I was working on revising that novel. And when I signed with Aisha, it was 2019. So three years of trying before I got an agent. During that time, I applied to a Ph.D. program. And so we moved back to Michigan and I started the Ph.D. program at, at Western Michigan University. And that was the biggest gift to my writing. You know, when I was there, I met my mentor, Thys Nissen, um, who's also a fiction writer. She was also the first person to just really fiercely believe in me and my work and what I was doing. And I still wasn't very good at that point. And she knew that. She acknowledged, like, you know, there's a lot of things that you need to learn, but your voice, the voice in your writing is just so beautiful and unique. And I would love to work with you. And that's what we did. We worked together. She taught me all the things I didn't know and helped me to get stronger at the things that I didn't know. I was in workshop. I was able to workshop parts of my novel with my classmates. In my, I think my second or third year of the PhD, my classmates actually um, offered to read my entire novel and give me feedback on it, which was amazing. Um, You know, that level of feedback to have 13 writers read my whole book and give me line notes and end notes and, you know, just telling me how to improve. I was churning out multiple drafts, changing things constantly. Some of the drafts were like very changed from the original version of the of the novel and got to 2019. And I decided I was going to give up on trying to find an agent with that book because I didn't think it was ever going to happen. And How many agents
1: had you queried by then?
0: It wasn't even a huge number. It Well, one, I don't like rejection. Um, mm-hmm. The rejection was really hard, but I think what was happening. So I probably queried maybe 40 agents or something like that over the course okay. of time. But what was happening was I generally always got asked for the full manuscript. So I was getting lots of requests for fulls, which is like a deeper process, I guess, because I kept thinking it was going to happen again and again and again and again. Uh I think it would have actually been easier if I wasn't getting so many full requests, because then I would have just felt like, oh, that was an easy rejection moving along to the next one. But I was getting so invested in every agent because they were all acting like they were going to give me the yes until they gave me the no. Got and it. so I was just like emotionally spent. And I just, I remember saying out loud, th- I'm pretty sure to someone, you know, I don't know if this book was ever meant to be out in the world or to be published. I think this is just the book that I needed to write for me to learn how to write a book, to tell a story that feels very meaningful to me and, and close to my heart and, you know, to learn all these valuable lessons. And I was like, and I think that's great. I'm happy that I wrote this book and I'm going to move on. So while I was in my PhD program, I started working on another novel, which is my, probably going to be my second novel. Um, but I started working on something else and I was just like, forget it, it's not going to happen. And what did end up happening is there was a, a, a pitch contest on Twitter um, called Pit Mad and um some of my friends writer friends that i met online were doing it and i had fomo and i was just like oh no they're all doing PitMat and i'm not i'm just going to do it real fast and so the idea is that you write you get 3 tweets 3 separate tweets to pitch your book so like an elevator pitch okay. and if an agent likes it then that means that they want you to query them and so i did that and i had two agents like my post and so i sent things over to them And one of them said, no, thank you. And the other one wanted to read the full manuscript. But I was, again, like, I'm not getting my hopes up. This has happened too many times. Um, But she pretty quickly called me afterwards and offered representation. And that was still not Aisha. Um, (laughs) And so what happened next after that was my mentor told me that I needed to let everyone know who still had a copy of my manuscript, because I had sent out a bunch of fools that people hadn't gotten back to me yet on. So then I emailed all of them to say I have an offer of representation. They were then all like, "What? I want to read it. I am still interested." So all of a sudden I had this flurry of activity. And how many offers
1: did you get of
0: representation? So offers, I only. So I think I only got two offers. Um, Basically, I started shutting them down because I got the offer from Aisha, but Aisha read very quickly. She read it in like a weekend. And came back to me and made an offer. So I told everyone else, "Give it up." You know, I, I landed <laughs> the agent of my dreams. Um, not hope so, to compete.
1: Yeah. So, what, what so was I, it about her that was most exciting to you? Why did you want her to be your agent?
0: I had hoped that my agent would be a black woman for a
1: lot of different reasons.
0: So that was one big part of it. I had learned a lot about Aisha. I respected the fact that she had built such a strong career. Um, she was an editor for a really, a really long time. And so one thing that I love about working with her is how she reads my work. We are able to like, oftentimes before we even go and take something to submission, me and her have done so much work together um, and, you know, editorially to, to get the book where we want it to be. Um, You know, so that's a big part of it. I appreciated just how she, saw my work. When she read the book, the way that she described her experiences reading it just felt really genuine to me and how I would want my agent to read my work. And she's, you know, she's, she's just, she's just such a badass at what she does. She's really just a powerful force in the industry.
1: She knows so much. So what, what happened after you signed with her? Uh We did a lot of editing together before we went on sub. What kinds of, do you remember any of the things that she said? Like, what sorts of things did she want you to change?
0: So I know that we spent a lot of time thinking about character development and relationships between characters. So previously, I had like little, like little crumbs of things. And she'd be like, let's actually make this a thread. Like, let's actually tease this out and make this a thing. And so then how did you sell it? Okay, so um, it was 2020. (laughs) There was a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aisha and I had been working on uh, preparing the novel up until this point for almost a year. We had been working on it back and forth where, you know, she'd send me some notes. I'd do things, send it back to her. She'd send me more notes. So I had kind of reached a point where I was like, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty done because I knew that I was still going to have an editorial process once I signed deal as well. Um, and so we, you know, were kind of like nearing the point where it was done. And then, you know, there were a bunch of things going on in the world related to race, related to black people. And I recognized it as a moment where I felt like, This is a wonderful moment to try and sell this book, which is about the Black experience, but it's also a different perspective, I guess, than, I don't know, I felt like at that time, the news was grim, necessarily so, because of the ways that Black people were being killed, were being mistreated, were being labeled in the media, all of these things. So I thought, how beautiful would it be for this book to sell right now, which is this sweet kind of 11-year-old girl's perspective on still that experience though, Mm -hmm. right? The tricky part was navigating everything else that was going on because, you know, Aisha also represents um, Ibram Kendi. And at that point, there was a lot of talk around his work. And so things were, she was very busy at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at some point I said, I know there's a lot going on, but I think this is the perfect time. And so we weren't exactly done with with our process, but I just felt really pulled. I just felt like it was the right time. And so she was like, perfect, let's, you know, let's do it. And so we went on some. So she made a spreadsheet and showed me here are the people I'm planning to pitch to that. And I just read it and was like, yay, wonderful, looks great. So she informed me that she was going to be out of town, but she was like, but we probably won't hear anything for a while anyways. So it'll be no big deal. She's like, you'll have access to the spreadsheet. We'll update it. So you'll be able to see if anyone's interested or not. Look at it if you want to. Don't look at it if you don't want to. And so um, we went on sub, and I'd say maybe three or four days later, we had interest and which was so surprising to me, to Aisha, to, you know, I had just figured out how to manage my expectations. And then here comes... (laughs) Robinson with Tiny Reparations books saying, We want to have a meeting. Tiny Rep had just, just started. And so it turns out that my timing was perfect. I had this feeling there was something going on with timing. And as it turned out, Tiny Rep had just started and they were trying to decide what was going to be the first book for their imprint. Mm-hmm. And when they got my, you know, got our pitch. They decided it would be my novel, which blew my mind. And so we, you know, the process took up, you know, a couple of weeks. There was the editor; they were just acquiring Amber Oliver as their editor, and so we kind of had to wait for her to get caught up to speed. And then we met, and um, so it was like a little bit of time, but it all happened. It all happened really quickly. Um, and so I think it was technically classified as a as a preempt because we didn't end up fielding anything else. We we I wanted to work with Tiny Rep. Their offer was amazing.
1: So I was like, let's just close up shop and we're going to, you know, we're going to accept. When you signed with Tiny Rep, did you celebrate with your family? Who did you tell? What was that like at home?
0: (laughs) Uh, That was such a wild moment because my husband and I, we had actually just had this little conversation with ourselves like, all right, so like, what are we thinking is about to happen? You know? Because someone's about to give me a book deal, presumably. We knew the offer was coming. We didn't know anything about what it would be. And we're just like, all right, like right, let's let's see what we think. And, you know, so we're just like throwing out numbers to each other and just like being like really playful about it. And um, the, the number was astounding. So I ended up getting a, a, a six-figure book deal from Tiny Rep for that novel. That's amazing. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting it at all. It blew our little pretend numbers so far out of the water that when I heard it, I couldn't even speak for the longest. I just, Aisha called me and she's like, here's the number. And she's like, so excited. And then I was just (laughs) silent and she's like, hi, hello. That was in the basement. And I just remember going upstairs and seeing my husband and I couldn't get out words. And he's just trying to guess. And then I'm just like telling him to go higher. And he's just like, "What?" he's like freaking out. Um, and so our kids were sitting there. They had no idea what we were doing because we just start screaming at the top of our lungs in the living room. Um, so that first day was just shock. It was just shock and yelling. I felt just so, I couldn't believe that anyone would pay me that amount of money. It, like It just kept blowing my mind that I just sat down and wrote a book. And then someone was like, I'm going to buy it for you for all of this money. So it was just such a moment. It's just such a validating moment. It was just really beautiful. That's awesome. I am I just met you and I'm happy for you. <laughs> working with Tiny Rep was incredible. I loved working with Amber Oliver as my editor. It was so exciting for me to work with the Black woman editor um, because I felt like there were so many things that I just didn't have to explained to her. And we were just in tandem. We, you know, both kind of had similar visions for the novel and how we wanted it to come across. And I, from start to finish, from working with Aisha, from signing with Tiny Rep, working with Amber, I never felt like anyone tried to change me, tried to change what I was working on. Tried to change my vision for the novel, even when we were picking covers, everything went through me. Phoebe Robinson's a Black woman who has been, you know, had been told in the publishing industry that what she was writing was too niche and people weren't going to want to read stories about Black women. So for her, it was very important that she didn't stifle anything from her authors and that she gave them every consideration and allowed them to be a part of every part of the process, um, which is what happened. You know, I, I feel so you said something earlier about luck and I feel so many things about my journey have been really lucky, but not in the sense of like everyone asks me, how do how do I get published? How do I get to where you are? And I tell them you know, you have to work really hard. And I think a lot of
1: people won't want to work that hard. You know, I think you make a really good point that there's luck and there's also really hard work. And and you mentioned in the process, you spent three years revising this novel. I mean, that's definitely not something to skip over. What was it like the day your book came out?
0: So, well, so on my debut day, I just wanted to have like a calm day. I wanted to go to a bookstore that I love. I promised myself that there would be ice cream, that I would have (laughs) ice cream at some point in the day. And so I just went by myself. I just wanted to go and like, just have a minute by myself and just have ice cream. So I did that. But then probably about two weeks later, I had a big party and... Um, invited all of my friends. We all got dressed up. I got a really nice cake made and just like really went all out. I've never had like a party like that
1: for myself. How has writing this book changed you as a person or an artist? I'm starting
0: to, I think I'm starting to understand myself as a writer, like what I'm talking about. What are all my stories about? At first, it just seemed random to me, but I'm writing about the same things over and over. There are things that I'm interested in exploring and they keep coming up in my stories. And so I'm paying more attention to that. And
1: it's like the central themes of your work as a whole. Can you name them?
0: Yeah. So, you know, Black girlhood. And that's one that I knew from the start that I was very interested in. But Black girlhood and Black womanhood, just thinking about the unique role of Black girls and women in different societies. And that could even be amongst Black communities and the ways that Black women are keepers of culture, carriers of culture in the Black community. You know, so things like that. I am very interested in mental health. I know that I am personally because of my, the, my own journey, but I realized at some point that mental health comes up in every single thing that I write. And so in my latest novel, you know, one of my characters starts going to therapy for the first time and that becomes a big part of the novel that I wasn't necessarily intending, but I realized it was so important to me to show that journey. Grief and loss keeps coming up, and I've experienced a decent amount of, of loss, and I think that I'm just very intrigued by how we grieve. I think that sometimes we, as a society, make grieving something that's so private. It's almost like a, a private, like, shameful activity. Like, go over there while you grieve, and I think I'm just really interested in, like, what would it be like if we talked very openly about our grief if we did it together?
1: That's Dr. Kai Harris. She teaches creative writing at Santa Clara University. And you can buy her first novel, What the Fireflies Knew, at the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to Writing Stories. As always, I wish you much inspiration, stamina, and success. Today is a quote that I particularly like. I think it's from Thomas Edison. It is, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Keep going. If you like what you heard today, please rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts. That would be so helpful. And if you want to be sure not to miss any future episodes, definitely subscribe or follow so we'll come right into your phone. And Be sure to catch our next episode, which is an interview with Kelly McMasters about her memoir and essays, The Leaving Season.